you are on the line live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn and Opelika on ESPN 1067. Listen online at foxsports983.com or espnau.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. Join the show by calling 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama Thursday afternoon. Hope everybody's having a great afternoon thus far. The sun came out. Cold weather too, though. Windy day, blustery it, uh, here on all the line. Yeah, it threw me for a loop. I walked outside, I, or I woke up. I was cold in my house because I didn't minute, have. Did I go back in time? I didn't have the uh, the cold weather. I didn't have any. Or I didn't have the the air. Didn't have the heat on or anything. And then I wake up and I'm cold in my house. I'm thinking, what happened? And I look outside and see it's sunny, and I'm thinking, oh, it's going to be a nice day. Maybe my house is just. Maybe I just left the air on a little too low. Nope, it's just cold. You said it best. This is Bluster. April Fool's Day, man. Yeah, yeah, it tricked me. It April Fool's it Day It tricks me every time I go outside. I've been out of the building several times today, driving around, went to lunch, and then every time I step outside, I'm expecting heat, and, and it's, it's not. not. Oh, it's furthest thing from it. I, I went and got my hair cut today, and I just walked outside. It tricks me every time. And I was like, wow, it's cold. Yeah, it's it's fitting of today. It's fitting of April Fool's. Like, they're playing jokes. They're ha-ha. The weather's got us. They, get the la- they got the last laugh for right now, but... I'm going to win the war with the weather. I've seen some pretty good April Fool's Day jokes out there as well. Here and there, of course. Have you seen the blue turf stuff from Auburn football? Oh, no. Did they did they pull that one out today? They pulled the, we're going to do the blue turf because we have Boise State's head coach, or Boise State's former head coach now. Auburn football tweeted out a picture of Brian Harson looking through his window, and there was blue turf out there. And then Yellowhammer News also had an article trying to fool people about it. And at the bottom, it says this article has been brought to you by April Fool's Day. So that's that's pretty funny. Michael Brandon, vice president of Radio Alabama, sent me that article. And at first I was like, ah, no way. But I did read it. I was like, all right, well, we're just going to at least entertain this. And I got to the bottom and I was still looking for some type of disclaimer that said that this thing was fake. And I finally got to the bottom and it said that. And I was like, that's good. I remember they did that with LSU a few years ago. They said they were going all purple because me and my cousin, like we, my, my cousin who is an LSU fan, he, me and him fell for it, and it looked, like the Photoshop they did, it actually looked pretty cool. Like, I, I'm not going to lie, like the purple field, LSU, Death Valley at night, like the whole Photoshop they did, it looked really cool. Did you ever have a teacher in school that would print things on hot pink paper? Ugh, yeah. And you would stare at <laughs> yeah. it? And then you look away, and everything's green? You look away from that field. I don't know what the opposite is of that, but is that is that going to end up making you see, like, yellow everywhere? Would that be the opposite? <laughs> So, so you're because like on the color wheel, are you orange and blue, purple and gold, green and red? Those are like the most complementary colors in 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 the color wheel. And so, I wonder if that would be like the opposite there. If that if that's what you'd see, I don't know. Are you somebody with science knowledge? Let us know what 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 color would we see if we had to stare at a purple field all day long? Are you are you anti-colored turf guy? I'm not a big fan of it. I'll be real. I'm not a big fan of Boise State's blue turf. I love every color turf. Boise State's blue, 
Eastern Michigan's gray, gray is the worst one for Coastal sure. Coastal Carolina's teal. Eastern Washington's red. Central Arkansas's gray, purple, it's always alternate. gaudy colors, though. Eastern Michigan's red. That's a field that if you stare at it for too long, you're going to see your eyesight's going to be messed up. Eastern Michigan's gray makes me feel like I'm watching a movie from the 1940s. And then I see that there's other colors involved, and it really trips me out. If Eastern Michigan's on TV, I'm probably not watching it anyway. But if I if there was nothing else to watch on television, this is very much so. If you were the last person on earth, I would not marry you. If Eastern Michigan was the last football game on the planet, and they were playing at their place, I'm not watching it. I love it. Like I would rather just have like Horrible. I, if Auburn decided to go. Obviously, they can't do blue turf for legal reasons. I don't know if anybody knows that, but. Any team that does get blue turf, because there's a lot of high schools that have color turf because it is actually cheaper than getting green turf, which is how Boise State got the blue field to begin with. They have to go through Boise State to get approved for like color turf. And obviously they say no to any other blue color turf. So it obviously never happened to Auburn. And what was funny was the cousin I was just mentioning that we fell for the LSU one actually just texted me and sent me that article. So I think that's kind of funny like that he sent me the article about uh, the Auburn blue turf. But that's not happening. And I'm happy oh, it's not happening. I, I'm not going to lie. I would love it. I, no, I, I would do blue. It's orange too is, gimmicky. Orange is too much. Blue, yes. Definitely not orange either. Of course not. But blue, no. I, I just think it's too gimmicky for a school with this much tradition. Boise State does not have the tradition, but they're a new guard school, right? That they're, is their tradition. Their now, tradition is that, yeah. But they don't have historical prominence compared to other programs in college football. So do you not are you a anti alternate uniform guy as well? I'm not big on changing up Auburn's uniforms oh, either. I, I wouldn't change Auburn's uniforms. Auburn uniforms are classic. Like I I'm also anti uh everybody needs a blackout jersey. If black's not your color, you don't need a blackout jersey. Like, you, yep. like I, that that always kills me where I see teams like Iowa State where, to be fair, Iowa State's black uniforms do look great, but it doesn't make sense to me that, like, it's just in it's my It's not head. in their color wheel. Yeah, if it's not in your color not scheme, on their palette. don't do it. Georgia going all black makes sense. Black is in their colors. Right. You just don't, Not everybody doesn't have to have a black uniform. When but. you were asking that question, I was curious if you meant Auburn because I'm vehemently opposed to changing up Auburn's uniforms unless we're going back to something that Auburn has done in the past there have been micro changes throughout but every time someone proposes something on social media for Auburn to change their uniforms to something alternate I've seen the Sailor Albie logo which I which I love I have several t-shirts I have a hat with the Sailor Albie logo I love that but I don't want to see that on a helmet. Anytime I've ever seen any type of alternate uniform proposed by fans, I'm always like, man, that looks ugly, and it's not as good as what Auburn's got well, right now. The classic threads that Auburn is rocking right now, I'm loving them. There's, I, I see a lot of people because I follow a lot of, uh, I, got, I follow a lot of people who are very good with Photoshop, and I used to frequent on like Chris Creamer Sports logos forums as a child and see yeah. people do like as different a child? logos. <laughs> I, or as a middle school kid or as a elementary middle school kid I was like the fourth fifth grade but I was like going through what? and looking up people uh making like that's bizarre yeah I was looking up people making uh and I'm a couple years younger than you yeah, too, they were, man so like I'm just thinking I'm in like second grade first grade and I was thinking I'm that you're looking at through, that stuff that's yeah wild. I'm scrolling through people seeing like doing jersey concepts and logo concepts but the thing that kills me with people doing jersey concepts they do way too much like they they oh, yeah. like there's such is best, man. there's such a thing as 
over designing. I'll give one instance, the Cleveland Browns. Like, they're simple. Like, I love I, it. I Best love, uniforms in the game. I my love man. simplicity. Auburn's, it's very simple. There's not too much going on. Alabama's the same way. Alabama's simple. It's classic. It looks good to me. The only thing, there's only like two uniforms I could see Auburn do where I'd be happy with it. If they did like an actual legitimate old school, like, throwback where it was even more simplified. I love the with, shadow box. I like the, like, the, uh, the, Washington football team, they used to have one with the leather textured helmets. Like, mm, they're real helmets. I've never seen that. It looked those up. They're really cool. It's like a leather textured, like, paint on there. Like, if Auburn did that with, like, a super old school uniform, that would be really cool. Or just the exact same uniform flipped to orange. I could do that. Other than that, I don't change it. Don't bring – don't – don't. I love the color orange. Orange is my favorite color. Just you know this. You don't you, like orange I, uniforms. I do not want Auburn to have orange uniforms. I wouldn't I mind. I do not. I wouldn't mind it for like a game. I don't want anything to change about it unless we're reverting back to something like the shadow box. Yeah. Like, I love those uniforms when I see stuff from like the 90s, early 2000s. I'm like, oh, those are those are great uniforms. I can see those too. For like a, like a modernized version of that, for like a throwback, I could see yep. that. But other, like, don't change too much. Like, go, if you're going to implement, if you're ever going to implement a New Jersey and like change, like, don't. Like don't add something. Just go backwards. Like a go back. Do a what is it like reverse retro? I guess like a retro, like a new a new age retro. Like go find find you a throwback and Tampa modernize Bay Buccaneers it. are a great example of this. What do their uniforms look like now? The uniforms that they were running when they won the Super Bowl the last time. They changed. They went from the. They went from what they've been trying over these last couple of years, which was adding stuff. And obviously, uniforms change every couple of years in the NFL, but. They at least reverted back to one of their classic uniforms. If you have to, if you're going to go modern with a uniform, you ab- like you have to hit it out of the park. Like the Seahawks, like the Seahawks when they modernized theirs, that like their color scheme and what they are, what, like what they were trying to do, it fits. And it's unfortunate. I still don't like the Seahawks uniforms, but you are right; it does Ooh, work. You don't like the Seahawks uniforms? That's just not my taste. Once again, I like college football a whole lot more for the classic nature. And, and think about the team that I like. I, I, I feel like that's, that's the opposite. I feel like the college football teams will just throw out eight, nine, ten uniforms a year in a 12-game season. Some of them, yeah. I guess you're Mo- right. Most the teams of them that do. I favor are the teams that are yeah. running more classic, traditional uniforms. But also look at my favorite team in the NFL, the Cleveland Browns. Browns. And that's one of the most bland uniform sets that there are, but also one of the most classic uniform sets that there are. They, 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 they really change don't it, change. They, they tried to change it once and tried to modernize it that way. For that little bit of scent of the time. all brown with the yeah the they took their color rush that people yes. loved they won one game in the color rush they broke the two year the the one and a half year stretch of not winning a football game in the color rush uniforms against the Jets on a Thursday night and they were like yeah this is what we're gonna go with from now on and but I'm then like, they went Ugh. but then they went back and kind of you know took it a step back and dotted down I a love bit. the uniforms that they're that they're strutting out right now absolutely love those so I favor that a little bit more so when you say the Seahawks and you bring them up as an example of modernizing it and doing it the right way you're 100 correct the seahawks uniforms they have done it that they have done a very good job with their uniforms and modernizing it it's just not my taste i, that, that I recognize they've done a great yes, job with that it. makes sense just not what i personally it's better like than to see better than what the rams did where you, you they tried to modernize it and they made it look like terrible like compared to what they were because they had a class well i miss the classic chargers they veered a, a, a long ways away from that i'm talking about the early 2000s chargers where they were wearing navy oh no see i'm a powder blue guy mm-hmm. i love the powder blue. like I, what everything the chargers have right now is perfect outside of the logo and the number it's too crowded for me i need just a, either just a number or just a logo not both 
unless you're doing logo on one side, number on the other, that kind of stuff. This was totally an unplanned conversation. Oh yeah, we just started talking about. It. I think we should. I think what we should do later on in the summer when it's just hot and dry and we don't have anything to talk about because the sports news is barren, we should just go through and look at uniforms through uh, the SEC and like rank them. We should go go through football or bas- put together a bracket. Ooh, people like a, love to vote. Like football, basketball, baseball. Like we can go through and do multiple different ones and kind of see like. Who's got the best uniforms in the SEC? Who has the best uniform for basketball? Who also, has some you for and baseball? I both know how to use Photoshop. Why don't we come up with a uniform alternate for Auburn football? That's true. I, like I just copy and paste an image. Is like no. I used to. I used to have no alternates for you. I have. I have one somewhere stored on my old laptop of the exact same Auburn uniform, but it's just inverted to orange instead of the blue. It's the orange. Like, a, and that didn't take much time, but. I tried to. I never did a helmet because I don't. I like the armored helmet. I never wanted to change it. I did a better Jaguars it's helmet. Iconic. I did a Saints helmet with like a chrome gold texture to it at one point in time. Uh, other than that, an opinion that my father has made known to me several times. He would love for armor to trot out a chrome helmet. I could see that. Like it I was just, just don't feel like it matches the navy. It yeah. It or would, the white pants. The problem is like it would have to be in my like in my head. It would have to be like a blue helmet for it to look, or an orange helmet. I think the only way that the chrome works is if Auburn were to wear like gray or silver pants kind of like what Ole Miss has done in the past with their gray uniforms yeah. if you were to wield that out with a navy top and then a chrome helmet. I think that's the only way it works. I, I wish Ole Miss I don't would want just a shiny back. orange dome or like it, and, and it, you really it has can't to ma- make white chrome. Yeah that's <laughs> what I'm saying like you can't do white chrome like it would have to be either orange or blue or even gray like an actual true chrome color and that's what i was saying i think the silver chrome with silver pants navy uniform might work you could maybe get me there that might look sick i'd have to i'd have to see a mock-up because like in my head like i don't know because it's hard for me to picture gray with auburn but i'm thinking about it and all since you brought up Ole miss just go back to either go to the powder blue or stay with your navy blue. Like I have a hard time with them because their helmet doesn't match. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Like it kill. Like that's what I'm saying. Go to one or the other. Like I don't. Like I hate it when I see the the powder blue tops and then I see like navy accents throughout their uniform. And I'm like just one or the other. Like please, like one or the other. What do you think of the reds? I love the reds. The reds are class. Like I like the reds. I like the, if I can think the red of, threads. The red boldness. threads with like a navy blue top or even the powder blue top. I like it. It's sick. I, well, I meant I meant the red tops. That's what I'm saying. Red okay. tops with like a with the oh, navy, you meant helmet. yeah with yep. the navy blue helmet or even the powder blue helmet. Some white pants. I like it. I'm not a big fan. This is going to there. There are people out there that are super passionate about this for some reason, but I'm not a big fan of old Mrs. Powder Blues. I don't think you're a powder blue guy because you don't like the Chargers no, powder North, blue. I think North Carolina does it really well. I don't think that the red with the powder blue looks good. I feel like I'm looking at sherbet or cotton candy. Doesn't do it for me. Reminds me of Horseshoe Bend. Like every time I see it, it makes me think of Horseshoe Bend High School. Yeah, with, with right their down the road. Yeah, yeah, it makes 100%. me think of their colors every time. That is that and maybe is that's very why, accurate. Maybe that's why because like I grew up with people who like who went went to Horseshoe Bend High School and I that think very like, accurate. and maybe I like I think associated with them and I'm like oh like that's why I, like I feel it feels familiar to me so I'm like oh I know this but, another color combination that I'm a big fan of in uniforms before we go to break here I'm a big fan of old gold and black oh yeah like bl- like black and gold mm. I mean you gotta think I I went to Beulah High School we were black and gold 
The only Lincoln issue, Golden Bears, man. Golden Bear for life solid. right here. Bear down. I like black and old gold and black and Vegas gold. The only issue I have with teams that have gold is they get lost so many times. You have teams that'll have, they'll have like old yellow colors, like black and yellow, like Beulah, like the high school I went to, their mats were black and yellow. You had old gold places like all over, but you also had Vegas gold things. Like sometimes teams get lost and you'll see like you got away from your shade yeah like you'll just start and you'll start seeing all these teams like put out all of this merchandise that it starts to kind of divert a little bit that's why i'm happy the pit panthers they went back to the you know like the royal blue and yellow because that the the vegas goal with them it just didn't sit right now they have some of the most beautiful uniforms in all sports in my opinion larry fitzgerald pittsburgh was peak pittsburgh uniforms you don't like the royal blue and yellow Mm -hmm. oh i love the royal Mm -hmm. blue and yellow oh they're so clean Mm -hmm. they're just so nice i guess typically i just don't favor anything blue and yellow that's fair i think notre dame does it well notre dames are classic would never like to see notre dame really veer away from the standard gold gold I, domes and, and navy uniforms i mean they go green every now and then they but, do and but that got makes some, sense they've got some really good alternates though that's true they I, do I'm have never really disappointed good ones. with what notre dame wills out i'm just saying i don't want them to permanently go away from the gold domes and oh, the ne- navy uniforms. never go away those, from the gold. I, I think those look great never go away from the gold dome like i mean they have before but that's that's classic like you can't do that We've talked about uniforms way too long, way too long. We want to hear from you about it, though, if you want to continue that discussion. Is there any type of alternate uniform that maybe you'd like to see with Auburn football? Obviously, I hope you didn't fall for the blue turf April Fool's Day stuff today about Auburn University. They ain't moving to the blue turf. So we would love to hear from you on that, though. Is is there something that you would like to see changed with Auburn that maybe is a tradition? that maybe you'd like to see we're not talking about tumors we're not talking about the eagle flight we're talking about things like uniforms maybe the field the stadium whatever there may be along those lines that maybe you'd like to see changed up a little bit maybe a, an alternate logo that you'd like to see used more man remember when there was that logo a couple of years ago or maybe a year ago that they were trying to wheel out the the visual identity system oh you know that uh, when i saw that logo I was like, is that Mike Wazowski from Monsters, Inc.? Like, That's what I, it looks like I understand to me. why. It's because like it made the two letters the same like height or something. Like, it made it easier for like computer renderings or something like bad. that. Oh, yeah. It looked like someone sat on it. Like It was squished. It looked like Mike Wazowski it from did. Monsters, Inc. Just Every time I saw that, I was squat. like, I'm looking at a Cyclops right now. But squat. We want to hear from you. 334-321-1390. Opening day. And MLB Baseball will keep you up to date with what the Braves are doing today. Also, Auburn Baseball starting a three-game series with Arkansas tonight. First pitch at, let's see, I believe it's at 6.30 tonight. If I'm wrong, it's at least 6 o'clock. So I'll get that to you guys on the other side of this break. You are listening to On the Line on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Number to call, 334-321-1390. We're taking your calls this fine Thursday afternoon, 334-321-1390. Nine minutes from now, we'll have Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer on with us. We'll get his thoughts on all things Auburn football this spring here. What's going to happen with that nose tackle position that competition that's going on at that spot alongside the defensive line with Jeremiah Wright going down with injury. We get his thoughts on some other things happening. Linebackers as we continued our 8A depth chart series yesterday. If you missed that, go and find the podcast 
wherever you get your podcast. Switching gears here, some major college basketball news today. Major college basketball news on two fronts. It started off today with some news about, well, I guess they kind of happened at the same time. I'll be real. I woke up and saw both of these things. Roy Williams is heading into retirement. What does this mean for North Carolina basketball as they're losing a coach that's been with them for 30-something years? You know, this is a big-time This is a big-time seismic move in college basketball. And then on top of that, Texas hires Chris Beard from rival Texas Tech. So two major head coaching moves in college basketball today. One job job open, one job filled. Let's start with North Carolina. Roy Williams heading into retirement. What does this mean for North Carolina basketball now that this job has produced a vacancy? We knew it would be coming sometime soon, you know, over the last – five years you had to be wondering when it was happening in the next decade and it's happened sooner rather than later I still thought he had some some tread left on the tires but Roy Williams heading off into the sunset after an illustrious career I'm sure this year took a lot out of him I mean this this was a year that was going to test a lot of people just with so many COVID sanctions and you had no fans like this this was a hard year and it all came down to getting out it like getting put out in the first round against Wisconsin so like that it kind of just combines all of that and it just ends like it just felt like this season just was so tough like it was just a tough year especially like for North Carolina I mean we've talked about a lot of the blue blood struggled this year and all basketball programs struggled to a sense like everybody had to deal with a lot more than they're used to dealing with on a normal year and I can understand if you're towards the end of your career and you're just sitting there going I don't want to do this again. This was a lot. This took a lot out of me. I understand it. Just this comes from a guy who his two favorite basketball teams are Auburn and Duke. So I'm very familiar with Roy Williams. Shout out to him, man. All the respect in the world. Always going to be one of the greatest coaches that the game has ever had. I'm I'm not going to miss him, but I'm going to miss him. Glad he's gone. <laughs> glad glad he's gone, but at the same time going to miss you recognize to, the fact that college basketball will never be the same without him right and it's just it's, he's it's, been it's, coaching for 33 years he respect. is one of the last main old guard coaches in college basketball that hasn't retired yet he's there there are very few left at this stage but i'll also say this i think he's he's one of the first to go because you still look Beheim's still at syracuse You've got Strzeski at Duke. you got Bill Self at Kansas. I put him in that category of old guard because he's been at Kansas for so long. To a degree, I'll say Calipari at Kentucky. He's been coaching for a long time. Not at Kentucky for a super long time. It's been since about 08, 09 he's like since the Calipari's fr- been he's at like Kentucky. The fringe. He's like the fringe old guard guy. Someone that you don't think about, Leonard Hamilton's been at Florida State since 02. We don't think about Florida State as a premier college basketball program historically but he's had Florida State nationally relevant for majority of the years that he's been there since he got there back in like 02 do you still know a player still didn't figure one out yep West Virginia with Bob Huggins he's been coaching for a super long time yeah believe it or not you look at Bob Huggins a couple years ago you think that he's probably in his 50s he's Nick Saban type of old you know he's like 67 to 69 somewhere in there and then you got Jay Wright at Villanova who's on the younger end of this spectrum of of teams that I've named but he's been at Villanova since like 02 as well 0102 
range. So you talk about these coaches that have been at institutions, factories of college basketball, maybe not all old guard coaches like Coach K at Duke and Coach Bayheim at Syracuse. Maybe not all of these are old guard, but they've been at college basketball factories for the last 20 years. They've been there for two decades now. They're actually, most of them have been coaching in three different decades up to this point, the 2000s, the 2010s, and now to the 2020s. And this is the first major one to go, I would say, since Patino left Louisville. And then if you want to count Thad Mata at Ohio State, but I'm kind of, I'm, I'm leaning towards no on that one. But Patino at Louisville, that was more of a force-out situation. You know, yeah. so this, and that one was filled by someone at, you know the Louisville position was filled by somebody that was not coming from a major university like one of these but when you look at the candidate list for North Carolina right now and some of the odds to fill the position there are some major names there from some major institutions in college basketball do I think they end up going to North Carolina probably not because they've got a pretty good situation where they're at and I just don't think it's going to happen but you still can make the point that this could create a seismic shift in college basketball major realignment of coaching positions could occur if North Carolina were to hire a big name from one of those previously established locations like if Jay Wright were to leave Villanova and go to North Carolina or if Tony Bennett were to leave Virginia or if uh I, I don't know Bill Self has been put on some of these odds Scott, makers list but Scott I'm not Drew, believing it Scott Drew from Baylor from Baylor it, it, Nate Oates from Alabama is on the list of favorites as well and uh, I'm not including him on this because I don't regard him yet among the greatest names in college basketball right now in terms of coaches I mean I'm talking about the big boys okay, the Jay gotcha. Wrights the national championship yes. winners that are at factories for college Brad, basketball Brad Stevens is on that list he is and on Brad, that list Brad Stevens took Butler to two national championship or two national championship games Celtics head coach now I mean there's a lot of guys on here but it, it's leaning more towards they're going to get an assistant or a former Carolina guy from which at I least think is a letdown odds perspective I mean Hubert Davis has even odds if you're looking at this, this from the you know, the Vegas line odds they've set Wes Miller, another former North Carolina guy. He's sitting there around like plus 200. And then it kind of starts to separate itself. Jerry Stackhouse at Vanderbilt, Tony Bennett, Jay Wright, Nate Oates, Scott Drew, Steve Robinson, Bill Self, Brad Stevens. All these guys are pretty down the list. It looks like they're going to go the route of a, a North Carolina guy. I think Hubert Davis makes a lot of sense. He's been an assistant on the staff for a while now. It's a it's an easy transition from going from Roy Williams to a guy like Hubert uh, Davis. I just want somebody with some legitimate head coaching experience if you're looking to fill the void of one of the blue bloods in college basketball you can do better than hiring internally you can go and get a big name I I think that they carry that big of a stick but I also like hiring internally because that gives that gives you the option to like this guy could be the next guy like instead of just retreading someone like a Rick Pitino like you could that definitely would not happen but i understand what you're saying it's it's coming it's happening it's not happening it's happening not that is north carolina wouldn't touch that guy with a 10-foot pole i don't know like north carolina didn't have any problems with cheating either i mean they love to cheat academically for the most part so i guess they wouldn't have a problem (laughs) we're revisiting that here but nonetheless the point that i'm trying to make is if it's not north carolina in the next 10 15 years We're going to see Duke open. We're going to see Kansas open. We're going to see Syracuse open. We're going to see probably Kentucky open, Florida State, West Virginia, Villanova, 
all of these places are going to open up. Maybe not all of them, but most of these places will have a head coaching vacancy in the next 10 to 15 years, and there will be major changes in college basketball coming. Just like we're about to see now with North Carolina. It'll, it's, it's going to start, hire a big name. Yeah, it's going to start happening. You're going to start seeing these guys leave, and it's going to happen you know, within the next 10, 15 years. We'll talk with Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer to get all things Auburn football coming up on the other side of this break. Stay with us here on On the Line. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. Back on On the Line on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Noah Gardner, Levi Fitzwater with you on this just fantastic Thursday. I just can't get over the weather. It's good weather out there. I'm not happy about the cold, but still just absolutely great weather out there. Not a cloud in the sky. And there's not a cloud in our sky here in the studios. We've got Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer on our phone lines with us. Justin, how you doing today, my man? I'm doing well. How are y'all? We are doing fantastic. Let's start here with the college basketball news just to try and wrap up our conversation with what we were talking about with Roy Williams in our previous segment. What were your thoughts when you saw that news break? Yeah, just uh, not not surprised that, you know, Roy Williams was coming up at the end of his, his tenure at North Carolina, it felt like, you know, it some so much of the game's kind of changed. And, uh, he's had to adjust to it. And, you know, Carolina's kind of going over a, a roster overhaul this up coming off season. So, um, you know, not, not stunned. I'm very curious to see where, where North Carolina goes next. I mean, they have kept it in the family um, for so, so long in terms of their coaches and there's just not a ton of Carolina connected uh, coaches out there that you know are really highly highly touted uh, you know prospects so I'm I'm super curious to see where they end up if Carolina you know sticks with you know getting somebody um, who played there or or coached there in the past or if they decide to kind of hit a hit a big splash here uh, with this with this move I want to kind of relate this to Albert a little bit when we ended last segment I said, you know, you look at Syracuse, Duke, Kansas, Kentucky, Florida State, West Virginia, Villanova, you're looking at guys that all are headed towards the back end of their careers unless unless they want to coach well into their their late 70s and into their 80s, you know, like you're talking about all of those positions, all those locations where you could see head coaching vacancies in the next 10, 15 years of the next decade. You know, aside from Bruce Pearl and the Auburn program being a little hot water this year and having a down year, but What's the reality that Auburn loses Bruce Pearl in the next, you know, 10 years, you know, seven years due to someone else picking him up, not because of anything NCAA related or possibly performance related, but more so possibly a bigger university wanting to take a shot at the guy? Yeah, it's interesting because at Auburn, he's getting paid pretty high up as one of the top coaches in the country already. This is the place that took a chance on him and brought him in after his show calls. You know, he was kind of, he was, kind of damaged goods in the coaching world for a while and he still is to an extent in the view of some people's eyes and he you know he's given uh, a lot to Auburn and, and Auburn has paid him back a lot for this and you know I've I've always said I would be surprised if Bruce Pearl you know coached another big time program besides Auburn you know for the rest of his career you know maybe you know he steps aside and goes somewhere else or you know somewhere smaller but I really think that this would be a spot for him. You know, he said it in the past. This is a place where I think he wants to retire um, because he's got it made, and this and this the trajectory of this program is only going up, right? I mean, you can go to a big name program, you know, elsewhere, but he's already proven at Auburn 
that he can get to some really high heights. And also, um, you know, they've still got room to grow. They got to they got to turn this into a consistent thing. Um, and uh, I think he's still got a lot less in the tank there. So, you know, there's going to be a lot of really good openings across the country. But I mean, I personally would be surprised to see Bruce Pearl uh, take any of them. Speaking with Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer, let's switch over to Auburn football here. We haven't asked you about Jeremiah Wright yet, but the news over the past weekend was that he went down with an ACL injury. How does the competition at the nose tackle position change for Auburn with one of their major players falling out of it? Yeah, I mean, it was really tough for, you know, depth up front at that, that on the inside because – you know, Jeremiah Wright had been playing so well that he'd been competing with Tyrone Truesdale, kind of going back and forth for that first team spot. And that competition, I think, was bringing out the best in both guys. And he's a massive dude, and you can kind of get creative with a guy like Truesdale if you know you can put Wright in there as well. And I think he was playing really well, so it was just a really, really tough blow. I think if you're looking ahead, you know Auburn's got a ton of defensive tackles uh, on this roster, a lot of interior guys who can fill in. So I don't think they're going to be hurting for you know that, but. I think this is going to put a spotlight on Marquise Burks to kind of be the guy to step up with Truesdale as that big kind of gap-eating uh, nose uh, because guys like Lee Hunter, guys like uh, uh, Jay Hardy and Zachivius Walker and, you know, those, those those interior guys that can kind of move around up front, you know, more more of the regular defensive tackle or even defensive end prospects on this team. So I think they need, you know, kind of the, those guys who can kind of hold the point in the middle of a 3-4 when they go to it. Truesdale makes a lot of sense there, obviously. I just think Marquise Burks is going to be the next one in line, a guy we've seen a little bit more of in the last couple of weeks. We were talking about linebackers yesterday. What What's the linebacking room looking like, primarily from like the outside linebacking perspective? Because we feel pretty confident what's going to go on on the inside. What do you think is happening with the outside guys? Yeah, I mean, the outside linebacker group is, is that edge position, that, that group where you, you know, it's, it's Sometimes they look like defensive ends. Sometimes they look like outside linebackers. And right now, uh, you know, Derek Hall is the leader there, um, and he's the guy kind of leading the leading the charge. And you see him out there with the first team a lot. We had seen TD Moultrie a good bit. I think that's a better fit for him. Um, you know, that position is a better fit for him than either playing box linebacker or Buck uh, in, in Auburn's old scheme. So I think you know this this coaching change can end up really benefiting him. Um, but the one the guy I've got my eye on a lot right now is Jaron Handy, and uh, Jaron Handy's been pretty. It looks pretty explosive. He slimmed down this off season. He looks like a natural outside linebacker. Um, you know, some coaches and teammates have been been pretty high on him uh, here in spring ball, and uh, I, I'm curious to see if he can step up because I think he's got a lot of the the tools to be a really versatile player for Auburn, and he looks more like he can kind of hold that edge on the outside. And become become a difference maker, and you know the rest of that group is going to be interesting. Uh, Caleb Johnson's gotten some good reps out there uh, as as kind of a stand up player. Romello Height is another one uh, who is working his way up, you know, after redshirting last season. And the other thing about that edge group is that you know there's still more guys who are going to be coming in. Um, you know, you will after spring ball. Aku Leota, he's got to play somewhere. Maybe it's edge for him. He's coming in. Dylan Brooks is coming in. Uh, highly touted player that Auburn signed after his release from Tennessee. You know, and there's more guys who could be coming into that position group. So it's not the deepest group in the world right now, but I think they've got a really good leader uh, in Hall, and I think they've got a couple of really intriguing, um, you know, potential first teamers in uh, Handy and in Moultrie. And I think it's just going to be, you know, kind of who steps up and separates themselves 
before you know reinforcements come in over the summer. Speaking with Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer here about some Auburn football spring practice and some of the storylines going on here in the spring. Talking about this linebacker group still, where does this group rank in the SEC in your mind? Well, I mean, you know, not knowing exactly who all return elsewhere, I will say this, it's hard to find who is, you know, who has got two of the more productive linebackers, like multiple linebackers of this kind of production coming back. I mean, Scott McLean led the SEC, uh, you know, in tackles. He was a he was a fantastic player. Owen Papo is a five star who did some of everything, and he's he played even more snaps than Jacoby did last season. To look at it on paper, and I mean, it's hard for me to figure out like who would be better coming back at the linebacker spot. Different schools do things different ways, but I mean, you think of some of the big names at linebacker in um, SEC football this this past year. A lot of those guys are going to the NFL. Guys like Dylan Moses, uh, you know, the guys that. You know, the edge rushers, especially at Georgia, what they do in their 3-4 system. Uh, Henry Toto is another one who was uh, bouncing for Tennessee. I mean, like, there, there's going to be um, a lot of players. Jacoby Stevens is another one who was a standout at LSU. He's gone. Like, there's a lot of good talent going to the next level. And Auburn did lose K.J. Britt. But uh, in terms of production, it's hard to sort of find a combo that's, that's as good as what Auburn's got coming back this year. How is the offensive line competition progressing right now? It seems like what I'm reading, what, I, what I'm hearing, is that the line is developing very similar to what it was last year, at least in terms of the five guys on it. Is that your impression right now? Is it still pretty much the same five guys from last year, or are there changes happening across that front? Yeah, that first half of spring practice, they kind of just stuck to what was what finished up last year. I think that was by design. I think that was just to get guys used to practicing under – new coaches and new scheme and all that and kind of developing there. And I think, you know, after this break that they're on, you might see a little bit more mix and match. You might see some things, you know, changing up a little bit, but yeah, for right, for right now, it's been Alec Jackson, uh, you know, from left to right, it's been Alec Jackson, Tayshawn Manning, Nick Brahms, DeAndre Jones, and uh, Bradarius Ham. Now we've seen the tackles rotate a little bit more with the first team. That's Austin Troxel and Brennan Coffey uh, get a little bit more first team rest because I think the interior especially with Brandon Council sideline right now with that injury, like Manning, Brahms, and Jones, that's a pretty – like they've they've pretty much separated themselves from the backups on the interior. Now, I think Council will change some things, and maybe you can move some tackles inside if you want to change around. But if you're kind of running, everybody's playing the same type of position as last year. Those guys are pretty locked in. I think it's just going to be a matter of finding, you know, the best combination to tackle, how they work together, who's, who's going to be the – um, you know who's going to give Auburn the pass protection power that they need? Do they go try to get a graduate transfer there? Do they stick to what they've got? What happens when Council comes in? How do those move things move around? So there's so many moving parts, and I think this this spring was more of, especially in the first half. We'll see how they do coming after this break. But I think in the first half it was like, hey, let's lean on what we know. Let's lean on it like you know what was what what, what we've inherited in terms of position and lineups. And then as we progress, maybe we can change some things around. But I think it was just big for these guys early on to get used to just a whole lot of newness with the new coaching staff and a new way they're going about business up front. Justin, I appreciate you taking the time to hop on with us today. Tell everybody where they can find all the great content you're putting out. Yeah, uh, AuburnObserver.com is where you can check it out. $6 a month, $60 a year. Got a few stories and a couple podcasts each week that we will uh, send to your email inbox uh, if you sign up there and subscribe. 
Uh, the one we had up today was kind of a breakdown of uh, Auburn transfer, uh, basketball transfer, Zep Jasper. And so it's kind of a breakdown of his game, what he's bringing to Bruce Pearl squad. So you can check that out. We've got a mailbag up on Friday. We'll have a new podcast up on Monday morning after the Easter holiday. So check all that out. As I said, AuburnObserver.com. Justin, I appreciate you, my man. I hope you have a good afternoon. Y'all too. See you. That was Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer here on the line with us. We wrap up hour number one on the other side of this break here on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. What's going on in SEC baseball? We'll tell you about it. On the line on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM and ESPN 106.7. Wrapping up hour number one of On the Line, Noel Garner, Levi Fitzwater with you on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Opening day today in the MLB. Look over at what's going on with the Atlanta Braves. Top third against the Philadelphia Phillies on the road. This game on ESPN Plus. One out in the top of the third. Philadelphia leading Atlanta 1-0 here. I know you're not a Braves guy, but you're definitely not a Phillies guy. No, I'm a Braves hater. Right? I'm a Saints guy. I hate all things Atlanta: the Hawks, the Braves. At least the Falcons. you're consistent. No, I'm good. Yeah, I don't drink. At least Co- you're consistent. I don't drink Coca-Cola, Pepsi only. Like we hate all things Atlanta. Man, that is. Mm. Braves and the Phillies both a hit apiece. Philadelphia once again leading 1-0 here, top three, and the way that the Phillies scored bottom of the first inning. Bomb hit a sacrifice, fly to left. McCutcheon came in to score. So, but the Braves did stop the bleeding. There were still other guys on base at the time for the Phillies at that point. So, Max Freed on the hill for the Braves as well. Two innings pitched, one hit, one earned run, one walk, two strikeouts. Pitch count already up to 30. His ERA after two innings at four and a half. So, <laughs> hopefully that goes down over the day. I'm, I know that will. I was just, yeah. you know, side note, funny thing, you know. <laughs> I also like Bryce Harper, so I can sit there and pull for what? the Phillies. Yeah, I'm a big Bryce Harper guy. I like Bryce Harper. He's he's a good guy. I like, Most I overrated player Oof. in the MLB at the moment. Y'all, are, y'all just And hate. that's not a hot take. The You're dude just, bats like 250 hate. or worse. Y'all just a hater because they've played against the Braves for so long. All Braves fans hate him because they've he's been in the division against them for And maybe just forever. because he's not that good. Ah, that's cap. Maybe just so. I'm about to bring up the stats here because Bryce Harper over the last couple of years, one of the most overrated players. Well, you can't count last year. Oh, why do you talk about I can't count last year? I can definitely count COVID, last year. COVID nineteen. We're all Whatever. in this together. That did not affect that no. If you if you stood in the batter's box and you swung your bat, you had a chance. And they were all playing nah. their hardest last season. COVID nineteen doesn't count. Season doesn't count last year. He bat two he batted two sixty eight last year, two sixty before that in twenty nineteen, and two forty nine in two thousand eighteen. Since two thousand eighteen, overrated. Before that, he was doing well, three nineteen in twenty seventeen. He didn't have a bad year in twenty sixteen at two forty three. He was three thirty before that, and then he was pretty much two seventy in two thousand fourteen and beyond in his career. Overall two seventy six. That's because of a couple outlier seasons where he batted two years north of three hundred. Before below that, man, like are we really gonna say this guy who bats two sixty is is one of the best in the game? So so what do you what do you want to view inconsistent? As a good, what do you want to view as a good batting average then for well, like two sixty is not that good. So what do you view as a good one? Like what like what is your stand? What is your standard for? If we're talking your, about one of the best in the game, you better be around three hundred. Okay, heard that. 
I understand. But a whole point four or .04 lower? Like, come on. Well, last year didn't count. So we got we got we got to deal with that. Last year didn't count. Last year was his best year compared to the two before it. Didn't count. <laughs> so that that year didn't count for him last year. Then it was the 2019 to 2018 where they were bad, especially that 249 in 2018. I just he's not the same Bryce Harper that earned him all the money. Let's just let's just be real. Well, I mean that happens. I mean, he's got his bag. He's good to go. He can relax. I'm always. He gonna, does have the bag. Good for him. Always going to pull for the guy. I mean. I mean, everybody likes you know Acuna, but he only batted two fifty last year. We don't call underwhelming. him. We're not calling him overrated, are we? Look, he was underwhelming last year. I'm not going to sit here and say that he performed up to up to par for what you were expecting out of Acuna. That is a logical fallacy. What you just provided to me, sir, that does not make <laughs> Bryce Harper any it does, less. In, no, it, any it doesn't less make sufficient. him any better. But all I see on Twitter when the Braves are winning, because obviously Braves fans don't tweet or talk about the Braves if they're if they're losing, because they're fair weather fans, let's be honest, just like the that's Hawks. That's not true. That's 100% true. Mm-hmm. Outside of I'll like, give you Falcons and the Hawks. I will not give you the out, Braves. Outside of like Jacob Hillman, friend of the show, and a couple other guys I could name off the top of my head, you don't hear anything about the Braves unless they're winning. When they're losing, crickets. Just like the you Falcons, just angering, like the Hawks. You, well, that would be most teams, but also you are angering many people out there the Braves used to be America's team man when they were on when they were on TBS all the time or because of Ted Turner the Braves like you could live in California and have been a and been a fan of the Braves but they, like I but, think the Braves are have a different fan base than the Falcons and the Hawks do I really I, do I don't think there's so, some overlap from growing up around here and seeing Braves fans like that's because you've grown up around here though you haven't seen people, what's outside of the southeast people don't talk about people don't care about them like they don't talk unless they're winning if they're winning fans are all about them the Braves are the best thing in the world but when they're losing you don't hear a single thing about it and like that's just facts and that's how the that's how it, people treat Atlanta sports teams unless they're winning nobody cares I didn't even think there was a Falcons fan around here until they started winning like what 2011 season 2011 2012 and they were kind of getting on the cusp of the Super Bowl and I started seeing rise up everywhere I'm like whoa where did you guys come from? Y'all crawled out of the sewer to start cheering for this team that y'all never gave anything about. Braves are the same way. Like outside of like a handful of diehard Braves fans, they just don't care if they're losing, like at all. I think that's safe to say for any team in baseball, though. If your team is losing, there is not going to be like that's obvious. There's not going to be as much fan excitement. And in baseball, when you're losing, you're not just losing. You are like 60 wins bad like you're you're finishing like 60 and in a hundred you know like my, it is not going well my hockey team just won their first game in 16 straight games I understand losing and pulling for your team like it's it, it happens but it's just like I just feel like it's more consistent with teams from that area than other places I think you're blinded a little bit by I, your I by I your think so. fandom I don't think so because this the is New Orleans sports teams. I don't think so. Like I just feel like this is something that I've seen my entire life. I'm with you on the Falcons and the Hawks, man, but I am not there with you on the Braves. The, I think the, the Braves are, are the, a unique situation. The Braves are the bet. The Braves are the best one in terms of like their fan interaction out of the other one. Like the Hawks are the worst one. Like nobody, nobody has ever cheered for the Hawks outside of outside of those two seasons where they were excellent. Yes, like the Hawks you're, are the, you're the Hawks are the, the worst mark. one, and then it's the Falcons, and then the Braves. The Braves have a little bit more leniency because they do have a like I see a lot more support for them even when they're bad, but it just seems like they're still more fair weather fans in the sense from just how they interact with the team. 
Bottom three now, Phillies up 1-0 as they come up to the plate here. I mean, the Braves, against... are, the Braves are on pace to get outscored 162 to nothing this season. That's pretty wild. <laughs> that's, that's pretty good. That's crazy. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. If this result ended this way, I, I don't think that that works that way, but math, sure. Math, averages. Mathematically, it's correct. Realistically, absolutely not. We'll keep you up to date on that game throughout our show while we're on the air. And then the drive with Bill Cameron and Dan Pack come up from 4 to 6 p.m. as they do every weekday following our show on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. I'm sure they'll keep you up to date with what's going on with the Braves game and also getting you prepped up for that Auburn baseball series against Arkansas. They started three-game series with the Razorbacks. First pitch today set for 6.30 p.m. tonight. And then they got 6.30 p.m. first pitch tomorrow. And then on Saturday, I believe it's a 2.30 first pitch. It's a 2 p.m. first pitch on Saturday. So a Friday, or excuse me, a Thursday, Friday, Saturday series for Auburn baseball this weekend against Arkansas. Tigers needing a victory pretty bad. Got to get one. You got to get at least one this weekend. We'll talk more about that series on the other side of this break. We'll get into some baseball. We've also got way too early Heisman odds for college football in the 2021 season. Who are we buying? Who are we selling? Stay with us here on On the Line. You are On the Line, live on Fox Sports Central Alabama. On 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn and Opelika on ESPN 106.7. Listen online at foxsports983.com or espnau.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. Join the show by calling 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. Hour number two of On the Line on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Noah Gardner, Levi Fitzwater with you in the studio. Number to call, 334-321-1390. That'll get you through to On the Line. Find Levi and I on Twitter, at Point Gardner, at Levi Fitzwater. Keep up with all of the content the show is putting out on RadioAlabamaSports.net and on the Radio Alabama Sports Facebook page. Follow it on Twitter as well, at Radio AL Sports. Once again, that's RadioAlabamaSports.net. Starting off hour number two here with some Auburn baseball. Auburn tonight starting a three-game series against Arkansas, 6.30 p.m. First pitch, Cody Greenhill moving his start up from Friday to Thursday now. He will be the ace, the day one guy for Auburn. That trend will continue, and Greenhill has been fantastic for Auburn this season. 2-0, 1.71 ERA. Needs some run support, but a look at the probable starters for this weekend. Greenhill on Thursday. Friday, it'll be Jack Owen making his return to the lineup for Auburn or that starting rotation for Auburn. And then Saturday, it'll be freshman righty Joseph Gonzalez, who's 0-1 with a 3.18 ERA. Respectable ERAs for the starters right now. Jack Owen at 2.18, 2-1 on the season. Respectable ERAs for these guys or maybe those are even last year numbers for jack owen because that does not sound right but that was all in the press release from auburn university about this weekend series against arkansas obviously you're going against a very talented pitching staff at arkansas you look at team era right now arkansas may be in the bottom half of the league 
in ERA at 3.78. But look, you don't get to 19 and three overall. You don't get to uh, or I, well, I think they're 20 and three actually. I'm 20, gonna, they're 20 and three. Yeah, you don't get to 23. They have a I guess a no decision on their stat sheet here. Well, no, these stats were before they excuse me. These stats were before they beat Abilene Christian on uh, on Tuesday. So that may have even gone up a bit for them. But this Arkansas team, while they may be in the bottom half of the league in terms of their era this is still a talented pitching staff you don't get to 20 wins at this point in the season by not having good arms but still a little bit more of a favorable opponent when you're talking about a pitching staff but not favorable when you're talking about how they hit 278 may not sound impressive but these guys can hit the long ball if you're not careful you groove one over the plate you're going to be fishing for it over the wall 42 home runs on the year for LSU, 40 for Arkansas, second in the SEC are the Razorbacks in that category. So a team that can hit the long ball, maybe not necessarily for average, but this team can score in bunches. They've got the ability to put up some runs. Yeah, I think it, and I think their batting average even has increased to 288 at this point because of that. I mean, they scored 21 runs on Tuesday, so I think it even is going to shoot up a little bit more after that. I mean, this team can hit. This team can pitch. I mean, they're they're the number one team in a lot of places, depending on what ranking system that you're looking at. Obviously, this is a talented team. You've got a good pitching rotation that, you know, despite not being as great as you would expect, being at the bottom half of the league, they're still getting it done and they're still winning games. They've only lost three games this year for a reason. This is they're they're touted as the number one team in the nation for a reason again depending Only in upon one poll but they're say, top three again, in all the others again depending on where you're looking and they're i would not rank these guys ahead of Ole miss and vanderbilt based off of I a i think vanderbilt's the best team in the country but i wouldn't rank them ahead of Ole miss at the moment because Ole miss is 6-0 and in sec play i wouldn't rank them ahead of uh i wouldn't rank them ahead of vanderbilt for sure like i, I yeah. i'm with you i think vanderbilt is the best team in the country like by far like i think that 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 baseball team is just absolutely different like they're overwhelming with everything they have pitching hitting it's it's all there that's a complete and utter like dominant baseball team and I think I would side with you on putting them below Ole Miss as well just because they are undefeated in conference play and Arkansas Ole Miss swept Auburn and Arkansas or excuse me not Arkansas, and Alabama Alabama Arkansas lost that, that to Alabama Friday. in that game Ooh. one it was weird. And the SEC opener, they got beat 16 to 1. Since then, Arkansas has rattled off eight straight wins. So they do, or nine straight wins. Now, Arkansas enters the series on a nine game winning streak going into this Thursday, Friday, Saturday series. So Auburn fast with a, Auburn faced with a major task this weekend because if you get swept again, three state three straight sweeps. A, your morale goes down. B, you're still on the starting line. You haven't cut off the starting line, and everybody else is probably already a mile ahead of you in the race you know everybody's lapping you at this point you still haven't even gotten off the starting line so this Auburn team needs to at least get one win I'm not expecting Auburn to win the series Arkansas outclasses Auburn when you're talking about most areas of the game of baseball at the moment compared to how Auburn's playing and the fact that they're injured even if Auburn was healthy I still don't know if I give Auburn the uh I still don't know if I give Auburn the benefit of the doubt to be able to go and steal one in Fayetteville maybe at home it would be closer but I still don't know even with a fully healthy Auburn pitching staff that I would favor Auburn to have a shot to even get two out of three so one out of three I think is best case for this weekend and if you do that you're still one and eight and you know I kind of chuckle and saying you know is that much better than zero and nine it is when you look at how the SEC race has gone so far this year several you know six teams got swept this past weekend 
and it's made some ugly records in the league right now. Auburn's only one game behind Alabama and LSU, who are both at one and five as well. So if you can get off the starting line with a win, there's a sliver of hope that you can turn the season around, mainly because the staff this weekend, the pitching staff, is as healthy as it has been. It's it's as healthy as it has been since the beginning of the year. Jack Owens coming back. He's finally getting a start. Still probably with a little bit of an asterisk around that. I wonder how long he can go. I wonder how deep he can go. You're probably looking at four or five innings from Jack Owen before you go to relief on Saturday, or excuse me, on Friday. I'm still not used yeah, to this like, being moved up, but game two, that is. So Yeah, there you go. Game the second game of the series. And then you've got Carson Skipper coming back this weekend. You got a lot of guys who are back. Richard Fist probably still going to be coming. Well, definitely still coming out of the pen because he's obviously yeah. not listed as a starter. Mason Barnett can return to the pen where you'd want him as a closer to help you be able to lock down game ones. You know, him and Greenhill together, deadly combination. There, you may not, you may not see the scoreboard in, in that type of ball game if Auburn could get some run support around him. I think Auburn could have a pretty decent shot at winning tonight if they can get some run support. At the end of the day. In order to win a baseball game, you still have to score. And I would, you know, look, sure, great for pitching to have won 2-0. You know, if you won a game 2-0, great. But I'm still like, you're not always good. Like, that turns into a 50-50 game. Like, you're not always going to win that game. You're not always going to win that way on pitching alone. You know, it could take any run during a ball game to swing the momentum and to swing the to swing the outcome of a game it's very finite margins when you're asking to hold opposing teams to less than two runs because you can't hit very well so I still think that this Auburn lineup has to showcase their ability to consistently be able to hit against good teams the stats are lying to you the stats are absolutely lying to you with Auburn baseball right now second in the conference in average right now 309 it's lying to you. Take away Alabama A M. Take away not some even of the, just that. I know what I'm saying take away some of those like games against lower like some of the just the pop off games because you have games where you're not scoring but one run, no runs, things like that. But then you have those games where you're exploding for thirty something, eighteen, sixteen. If I'm trying to, I'm trying to just off the top of my head think of certain like gigantic scoring margins that I've seen. It's not. They're they're more outliers. Like and that's how like in math like you try to find the most representative data of the set if you went through and kind of looked at a median you would look at it better than what you're finding with this average because they've had games where they've absolutely just had the bats on fire then they've had games where nobody can hit anything and that's just how like this Auburn team has been this year I agree with you like even if they win two to nothing like say they won a game 2-0 this weekend you're still going to be like well we won but I'm still concerned with hitting like it it didn't fix any of the issues and like any of the problems that I had like great you got to win that's awesome for you know like where you're at and trying to dig out of this hole but you're still not hitting and that's still going to be a problem next weekend or even in the midweek so two parts to this to respond to what you're saying and to go along with it Auburn's pitching staff has been underwhelming as well Richard Fitz hasn't developed into the prospect that anybody imagined him to be I was very hesitant and you remember me talking about that because we just hadn't seen it yet from the guy so I was very hesitant with this entire pitching staff because when I was talking about this going into the season opener when Auburn's about to play Presbyterian and I'm saying we're learning something new about every single one of these pitchers this weekend because none of them have been in a consistent starting role and Jack Owen obviously was injured injured for that series it's good to see him coming back but it was like Greenhill Barnett 
and then Fitz, and like none of those guys had seen consistent starting time or mainly any starts at all. Barnett and Greenhill are the two that I'm looking there who hadn't received any starts at all. And then you got Fitz, who had only seen a couple throughout his time, and he really hadn't been in that impressive. And so I was very hesitant on that. And then you decimate it with injury. Auburn's pitching staff has been underwhelming. That is part of the issue for the fact that Auburn's at 11 11 and 0 and 6. Doesn't help when you spot opposing teams, you know, three, four runs through the first three, four innings of a ball game. You're playing from behind. But Auburn's offense, part of the reason why they're getting spotted is because, look, we can't sit here and say that Auburn's not. Auburn's not hitting consistently throughout ball games. Auburn does take a little while to generate some runs. There were a couple of games where Auburn's down 6-2 going into it late, and then maybe they fight four runs great late, which is great, but still, why can't we find this throughout the entirety of a ball game? I, I just consistent, I think, like more consistently throughout the game, not exactly, just at one rather, spot. I'm not saying that Auburn's bats are the entire reason for Auburn baseball struggles at the moment, because that's not true either. I think it's a little bit of both. I think it's false to completely rule out what Auburn's doing at the plate I still question Auburn's ability it's rather hit or miss it's hit or miss for Auburn baseball some games they've got it some games they don't and and you can make the argument if the pitching staff was healthy then that would help them out and things would look vastly different because it would make up for the days where they're where they're missing but I think you can say that the pitching staff has been hit or miss like you don't know what you're going to get Auburn is a box of chocolates Auburn baseball is a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get right now. And that has not been good enough because they've played two programs up to this point that know exactly what they're getting. They've played Ole Miss, who's number two in the country in most polls. And then you got Kentucky, who is shocking a lot of people. They've been a bit of a surprise in the SEC East, but they're sitting at 4-2 and two right now. And they're very confident in what they do. They hit the ball well, 298, and they pitch the ball well right now. They are third in the SEC with a team ERA of three so like Kentucky right now third in in batting average and third in team in team ERA like although we may have not have expected it out of the Wildcats here they are and you have to respect them at this point with how they've played through their first six games Auburn's still trying to figure out who they are Auburn's still just trying to put the pieces together to win a ball game and so bringing this soliloquy back full circle with Auburn baseball important that they at least take one this weekend because if you're still on the starting line you're still like it's it's like you haven't done anything to put the pieces back together like the comeback has to start now if Auburn's going to make the postseason which I view Auburn right now I I, I don't think they make the postseason at the moment as new information becomes available you know throughout the year if they were to win some games and maybe go two and three against some teams that maybe I, I I'm not expecting them to go two and or two and one against over weekends take two and out of three if they if they get to that point then maybe I'll start to evaluate them a little bit different but right now it's a long hill to climb to get Auburn into the postseason even just as like a three seed in a regional and if you win one out of three this weekend you're one and eight and that's still really ugly and that still like only puts you inches closer to like you're you're inches off the starting line but at least you're off you're at least moving and once you're moving you have the potential to generate momentum an object that is at rest is going to stay at rest unless pushed or unless moved by something right and then once you're moving then you can generate some momentum and you can get going this team right now still at rest and they have to do something to get moving and that at least means one win you can't you can't get swept again I said that last week Look, I've already hit the panic button. I'm borderline to acceptance at this point. And if if they get swept by Arkansas, I, I'm just kind of like, all right, the season's in the, the 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 season's almost gone. I mean, I think I've I've been a little bit further along than you. Like, I think I accepted it a little longer, like a little bit longer ago. But man, this this weekend would absolutely, in my opinion, it, it might be the nail in the coffin on the season if you get swept and you look bad doing so. 
Like, if you have three competitive games that you, you know, you don't end up winning, you feel better. Like, you're still upset. Like, you're still panicking. You're like, dude, we got to get a win in SEC play. But at least you're not like, okay, season's done. Like, we got just absolutely rocked all weekend long. There's no hope for this team. But if they're competitive, you're still going to be like, you know what? That was the number three, you know, top three team in the country that we just pushed. And we were a little bit away from beating them. If we can play that way against some of the other teams in the league, we'll be just fine. Problem is, are we going to get that from this weekend? And even if we do, is it going to be consistent throughout the year? Because that's been the name of this Auburn baseball team. It's been the lack of consistency at certain moments. In all areas of the game. Oh, and literally every pitching, hitting, all of that has just been inconsistent. If they can find some sort of consistency moving forward, this team could still dig its way out of it because it plays in the best conference in baseball. Problem is, they just haven't shown that they're capable of doing that yet. Some other good series happening in the SEC. We'll keep you up to date with that as well. We'll retouch on that a little bit later. A look at the Braves score right now. Phillies leading the Braves 2-0. to Bottom of the third inning, two outs. Right now, Max Freed struggling with the top of the Phillies order. Outside of the top four, he's not having any problems, but all four of the top four hitters in the lineup for Philadelphia, they have all came away with at least one hit up to this point. And some of them have reached base on multiple occasions. Bryce Harper so far today, he's one for one, and he's garnered a walk as well. So he's reached base twice in both of his plate appearances. It's 2-0 right now, four hits for the Phillies, only two hits for the Braves so far through three times up to the plate and still no runs on that scoreboard. Aaron Nola doing a pretty good job right now. He's gone three innings, two hits, no runs allowed, no walks, three strikeouts. And so Freed is Freed's getting hit right now just a little bit, but it's not like the floodgates are, have opened or anything. And still just the first start of the year, but his pitch count, his pitch count's running up there. He's got 62 pitches thrown through 2.2 innings pitched at the moment. Braves Trail Phillies 2-0. We'll be back with more of on the line on the other side of this break. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Follow Fox Sports Central Alabama on Facebook to keep up with the latest going on in sports. On the line, the drive with Bill Cameron, analysis, news, and more. All on Fox Sports Central Alabama on FoxSports983.com and on Facebook. That's Fox Sports 983com Some of the other series happening in SEC baseball this weekend. And some good series at that, I would say. You got Kentucky and Mississippi State also getting started on Thursday, Friday, Saturday series. That game on ESPNU this evening. Kentucky, an upstart team at four and two, or excuse me, five and one. They're at they're in that top category in the SEC East. And then Mississippi State coming off a sweep against Arkansas, but still one of the most quality teams in the SEC despite the fact that they're at two and four right now the SEC West there's a gorge between first and second and then everybody else because third and fourth are two and four fourth and fifth are one and five and then in sixth place or excuse me uh see I, I got all that mixed up excuse me third and fourth two and four and then fifth and sixth one and five and then it's seventh it's Auburn at zero and six uh, for some reason, still not used to the fact that there's seven teams in the in in each division in the SEC. I don't know why I was struggling with that. Because we grew we grew up with six, and it's still hard to adjust later on. A lot more competitive though over on the on the eastern side. Kentucky, Tennessee, and Vanderbilt all at five and one. Kentucky and Tennessee more surprising teams in this league. 
and, and what they've been able to generate up to this point. Tennessee at 21 and four overall, Kentucky and 17 and four overall. Good for Tennessee. You know, they got to be good at something, right? South Carolina, four and two in the SEC after sweeping Florida. Florida at three and three, Georgia two and four, and Missouri one and five. Georgia's surprising in a negative way because they've been top 15 a lot this year and now they're sitting at two and four overall in the sec 16 and seven overall you wonder if georgia's legit at this point or if they're running back to what they kind of were before the last couple of years where they've been pretty good vanderbilt lsu is going to be a fun series i feel like just because of the baseball pedigree but talk about once again two teams on the opposite end of the spectrum lsu season could get a lot more bleak just like auburn's at the moment if they were to get swept by Vanderbilt this weekend because LSU was swept this past weekend so there are other teams in the same boat as Auburn that LSU Vanderbilt series one to keep an eye on that's why it's not like too far-fetched to think that Auburn can't climb out of the hole like it's still possible because of the way certain teams have started and what their record is right now there's a lot of teams where things can go sideways pretty quickly LSU is one of those teams in that boat if they have a bad series against Vanderbilt this upcoming weekend if they were to get swept they're in trouble Alabama is playing Tennessee which once again one of those teams is five and one the other one of those teams is one and five if Tennessee were to do the sweeping or even go two and one against Alabama Alabama's still in a tough spot considering they got swept before this Arkansas and Auburn of course also another series happening this weekend Texas and Missouri one of the more irrelevant series they're one and five that is Missouri and then A&M's at two and four so there's not going to be a whole lot of damage done to the standings based on what happens in that series Ole Miss and Florida is another one of those where things can go kind of sideways for one of these teams if Florida were to endure another disappointing weekend they still stay in the mix of things in the east but it further extends the gap between them and the top teams in the east and they fall down the pecking order a bit especially considering South Carolina's in a winnable series this weekend against Georgia Vanderbilt looks to be the favorite against LSU and then Kentucky and and Tennessee both like I said in very winnable series as well Kentucky Mississippi State that one I'd still probably give the edge to Mississippi State but Kentucky does play with that five to one or five and one SEC record to Florida's three three record so even if Florida goes and somehow takes two out of three against Ole Miss they just tie up Kentucky's record if Kentucky were to lose the series so a lot has to happen for Florida to climb up that Ole Miss Florida series is a fun one that'll be on SEC Network tonight at 8 p.m and then uh excuse me that'll be at 7 p.m that's an eastern time zone so two games televised tonight in in SEC baseball Kentucky Mississippi State 6 30 ESPNU and then seven o'clock it'll be Ole Miss Florida some other series happening like I said Tennessee Alabama they get started tomorrow they're not doing the Thursday Friday Saturday thing they, they will be playing on Easter and then as I also mentioned South Carolina Georgia that's the other one that's going Friday Saturday Sunday so I guess they didn't want Easter off I guess not I mean they're, shaking they're my head the one one the one team that won Easter they didn't off. get the memo I didn't even realize this Sunday was Easter until like last Monday it just snuck up on, it's because March went by so fast I didn't even realize it it just it snuck up on me I looked over and I was like whoa Easter is this Sunday that's crazy that's just been how fast March went. Like, I felt like just yesterday, the tournament was starting. It was March Madness, and we're in the Final Four. April is here. It's just crazy. Yeah, I hope everybody has an outstanding weekend this Easter. The Lord is risen, and I hope everybody enjoys their time with their with their family this weekend. It did kind of sneak up on me as well. I'm not going to lie. It, <laughs> it got here pretty quickly. So, hoping everybody enjoys their Easter weekend Braves baseball, their trail of Philadelphia, 2-0 right now. Top four, one out. That one on ESPN+. Plus. And here, I'll be, I'll be fair since I was dogged on the Braves. 
my Royals, they're on pace to be outscored 648 to nothing right now. Man, across the whole season? Across the whole season. They're down 4 okay. 0 in the first inning. I mean, it's actually, <laughs> I could make the numbers substantially larger and figure out four runs every inning for 162 games. Like, that's what, 30, yeah, 36, uh, 36 times 162. That's what they'd be on pace for right now, which is uh, a lengthy. Lengthy number. Let's see if we can get this calculator going. That'd be five thousand eight hundred thirty-two to nothing over the span of a year if you allowed four runs every inning. Let's talk about some college football right now. We've got some way too early Heisman odds for the two thousand twenty-one season. I was looking for some things, some fun things, football related to talk about on today's show, and I saw this article on twenty-four-seven Sports looking at preseason Heisman Trophy odds for two thousand twenty-one. All of these courtesy of Vegas Insider. At the top of that list, and what we're going to do is we're going to say, do we buy or sell these? Do we believe these? Like, do we think, yeah, this guy's legitimate, or no, this guy is not legitimate? Oklahoma, redshirt sophomore quarterback, Spencer Radler. Man, that just sounds like a Heisman candidate, right? Yeah. and, and <laughs> He's I, three to one odds. He's the one leading that. And, I, and for obvious reasons, because he is a talented quarterback who plays at Oklahoma, I'll buy into that simply for the system. We've seen this system produce Heisman winning quarterbacks. We, we saw it with Kyler Murray. We saw it with Baker Mayfield. Even Jalen Hurts was getting attention at one point in time. I could see I could see it at the end of the year, Spencer Rattler, with the talent that he has. The system that he plays in is going to be offensive friendly, and he's going to put up numbers, especially playing in the Big 12 defenses. I could see it. I, I'll buy into him. Ditto. I have nothing to add to that. Yeah, All like the that, reasons. They play in the Big 12. Defenses are not very good out there. Outside of West Virginia, apparently. Conducive <laughs> offense. This is a guy that I don't know if I'm quite there. DJ Uyagalalele, quarterback. He's a sophomore at Clemson. He got his reps last year when Trevor Lawrence went down. When he had the coronavirus midseason there, he got that start against Notre Dame. I thought he performed well against Notre Dame and signaled a bright future, especially considering he was a freshman. But I'm just not so sure that I'm sold with everything that I saw and that came alone that I'm, I'm not so sure that this guy's going to put up Heisman-level numbers. I think he's going to be a good quarterback, borderline great quarterback in college football this year. I'm just not sold because the Heisman Award is a stat award, and mainly for quarterbacks as well, despite the fact of what Devontae Smith did this past year. And there's nine quarterbacks on this list, so forget about you, changing you have trends. Have, you have but, to have a Devontae Smith year to, to win. Yeah. Like, you have to be that good. So I don't know. I'm not sold on DJ Uyagalalele, especially considering some key weapons are leaving around him. Justin Ross is back for Clemson this upcoming year, which is good news. But I'm still just not certainly sold on DJ Uyagalalele finding himself into the Heisman conversation with his numbers at Clemson. The way I see it is I'm not sold on the stats, but I'm sold on the team. And the way like typically like if your team is winning and in the national like chase, typically the Heisman voters are more favorable to that to a team that has to a winning team that has a, their best player. And if his trajectory puts him as a guy who is playing well and he's the captain and the quarterback of Clemson if they're in the national chase he will be considered in the Heisman race if that makes sense like it's not like I'm not buying him specifically right now because I need to see more out of DJU like I just don't know like I don't know if he gets there but I could easily see him being in the conversation simply for the fact that he would be the quarterback of what you typically perceive as a top 10 team his Heisman, his Heisman odds are at five to one. 
And, that, and that's why it's so high. Like, that's why they're so high, because he's the quarterback at Clemson. It's also his first, like, main year of playing. Yes. Like, so, like, I also have a hard time. I know we've seen freshmen and sophomores get there over the last couple of years into that Heisman conversation, but still just, they're, they're, I don't think he's going to win it. And that's a lot of, uh, that's another reason why he's so high, because you're not, you're not bored of him because you haven't seen him. Like, this one's wild. Like, typically when you, like, those, like, Johnny Manziel's second year, you're already, like, like you, you had a year Johnny Mansell. You had a year Jameis Winston. Like you, you were kind of bored of those guys. You wanted the next new thing, and that's kind of how this happened. This, I agree with you though. Next one on this list is wild to me. I don't see it happening. JT Daniels, quarterback, the junior at Georgia, six to one Heisman odds, listed at third on this list. Uh, Georgia quarterback Heisman, same conversation. I will, I'm not going to say sell. <laughs> Kirby I will, Smart. Ah. I'm not going to say selling. I will. I will give someone money to take this take off my hands. Get this one. All, <laughs> like I, I don't care how much money I got to give you. Get this one away from me. Like I, Georgia quarterback. No, especially like first of all, just the offense isn't. It's not conducive. Predic- it's not. It's not Heisman quarterback number friendly. Like it's not going. To, he's not going to be able to put. Uh, he's going to have to absolutely ball out. And I think it's not. I'm not knocking JT Daniels' talent because he is a very talented quarterback. I just don't think the system in place is going to allow for him to flourish with Heisman numbers. Also, George Pickens is hurt. Like he's not going to have that guy. He's not going to have that guy to throw to. So, like, I get it. I understand if you're thinking that he's a talented guy because I I do truly believe JT Daniels is probably one of the better quarterbacks that is going to start for Georgia. Devil's advocate here for you though. Just throwing this okay, out there. Yeah, we got we got to be fair. We got to be a little fair. Three hundred and seven point five yards per game was what he threw for last year across his four games. If he does that across twelve games, he ends He's up there. with thirty thousand six hundred ninety yards. He had ten touchdowns across those four games. So we'll do some quick math here. That would be let's see, two and a half touchdowns per game. Mm-hmm. So over quick 12, math over twelve games. Would put you a little bit over like what 26, 25, somewhere around 30 there. touchdowns. 30 touchdowns. I don't think the touchdowns are there, but the yardage is. Yes, the yardage could be there. I mean, like he could do it. It's just I find it hard to do with that offense without George Pickens. 100% agree. I, I'm I'm abandoning that too. Like I, I don't think that that happens. He does not win it. I, I, I don't even know if he even makes it to New York. I agree. I don't think he does. You're listening on the line. We'll be back on the other side of this break. Stay with us. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. Back on On the Line on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Number to call, 334-321-1390. We want to hear from you. Once again, the number to get you through to On the Line, 334-321-1390. Follow ESPN 106.7 on Facebook and Twitter to keep up with the latest going on at the station. The Max Roundtable, On the Line, The Drive with Bill Cameron, Analysis, News, and more. Seven hours of local sports talk. That's all on ESPN 106.7. Find the website on ESPNAU.com. Still going through some of these way-too-early Heisman odds for the 2021 season, all from Vegas Insider. 
taking a look at some of these we've already gone through a couple we're trying to say if we agree with these or not like if we think these guys are going to win it do we think they're going to make and, it to new york i mean you've been pretty consistent so far like, in terms of what so we far agree we're with. only like, we're, we're one for three at the moment spencer radler is going to be there and i think he's got yeah. I th- he's obviously got the best odds and i and i think he is but dj Uiagalele for clemson not there with him J- jt daniels for georgia definitely not there don't I, know how I he could, got that again high. i can see dju i can see him doing it and like again uh, more just, likely than jt daniels yes uh, yeah it's, it's just team it's just based off a team with him but this next one I like I like a lot and I liked him a lot after he was a freshman in his sophomore year I felt like he did improve as a quarterback North Carolina may not have but he improved Sam Howell quarterback the junior at UNC now he's lost a lot of weapons now he's lost some talented running backs he's lost some talented receivers so we're gonna learn a lot about Sam Howell the quarterback does he make guys around him better would not be shocked if he takes off for the NFL after this year and ends up making an NFL franchise extremely happy especially if he makes those guys around him better but you look at Sam Howell back after his freshman year he throws for 3,641 yards 38 touchdowns seven picks a 61.4 completion percentage that you would have liked to have seen gone up but he was a freshman back then he was a freshman with a new head coach it was his first year then he follows it up in 2020 in a shortened season 80 less attempts jacks his completion percentage up to 68 percent a seven percent jump almost 3,500 or nearly 3,600 passing yards was only 60 passing yards away from matching what he did in 2019 in one more ball game. He had 30 touchdowns last year, seven picks. So he only played in one less game, but he did have 80 less attempts almost. He had like 76 less. Shortened season. Right. He had 76 less attempts last year. Well, he did only play one less game, though, than he did when he was a freshman so I, I wouldn't say that it's the shortened season but for True. whatever reason True. he threw the ball 76 less times last year which affects his yardage if you give him those 70 attempts he's clearly surpassed mm-hmm. his yardage by a long margin there and then his yards per attempt went up by almost two yards which is a lot and then the touchdowns were a little low they were you obviously if, if he had 80 more attempts he probably does score you know five more touchdowns maybe or because uh, he was he was throwing a touchdown every 11.6 attempts last year that was the average and so if you add 80 he probably throws like five or six more so the touchdown really doesn't see a lot of drops here's all i'm saying if he wasn't in powder blue and he was wearing clemson colors guys in the heisman conversation no i agree with that and i think i wouldn't be shocked if you didn't see even like a giant jump in his yardage and completion percentage and all like all of his stats because of the weapons he's losing, I think you might see a situation where you saw a guy like uh, Jordan Love or even why uh, Josh Allen. I don't know why his name slipped mind. Someone like Josh Allen or Jordan Love, where they were going into their last season before they went to the NFL, and their numbers dipped a little bit because they lost most of their primary weapons on the offense. I could see that happening to Sam Howell, but I think he'll still have a good, productive year. And then if if he makes the guys around him better, He's going to be at the top of the Heisman conversation because the dude is talented. He can play ball, and I think, I think he could make he could make these guys around him better. We're going to see how that goes. If he does, he's at the top of the Heisman race, and he's going to be you're going to be looking at him as the number one quarterback next year as well. If if you see great performance, I think he still probably ends up being the number one quarterback next year. But that's yet to be seen. At this point, I think this list is just throwing the the quarterbacks that play for the best teams in the nation, but. That can somewhat be synonymous with the Heisman Award. Bryce Young, sophomore quarterback at Alabama, 7-1 to odds as well, alongside Sam Howell. 
I'll I'll give you this one. I will because you brought up a good point, but I do have a little bit of a counter for it. Where you said, so you'll let me go first. Yeah, you can. Yeah, you can go. I'd say, yeah, go ahead. Because then heard, you'll yeah, provide you t- your counterpoint. Yes. I, I'm not. I don't like this one that much. I don't think that he. I don't think Bryce Young makes it to New York, and that's not a slight on Bryce Young. First of all, new running back, new receivers, losing a lot of weapons. He does play in an offense now that is more conducive than the quarterbacks that were before him, before Mac Jones and and Tua Tagovailoa. Before those guys, this offense, obviously with Tua and Mac Jones, the offense has definitely been more pass friendly and can get quarterbacks in the Heisman conversation because Tua and Mac Jones were at least discussed in the Heisman conversation. But neither of them, those two guys, with their numbers, neither of them won the award. Neither of them did it, right? And so what makes you think that sophomore quarterback that hasn't really seen any playing time and he's lost a lot of weapons around him in year one is going to get there? He's going to have a good year. He's going to be an outstanding quarterback in the SEC. He's going to be a top three, top four quarterback in this league. But I'm not, and, and more, more, more so a top three quarterback in the SEC, but I'm not thinking this guy wins the Heisman. I don't even know if he makes it to New York. There are probably other candidates that are going to have better seasons than Bryce Young. I'm just not seeing it with the numbers for the kid. And I agree with every single thing you said because everything you said – it, it aligns with what I believe in. I'm They're gonna, probably going to be more reliant on the running game this year too, because uh, you're yeah. breaking in a new quarterback, especially early in the season. They're going to be more reliant on the and, running game. And I agree with that. I'm gonna, I'm just playing devil's advocate here and just going to try to go the uh, the opposite side. The thing, think about what Bryce Young has that Tua Tungavailoa and Matt Jones did not have: rushing ability. And Heisman voters love a quarterback that can run, who run, who can run and throw. But will that take away from his passing numbers? It, it, that's a question that you yes, have to ask it, that's yeah, part of what i see with dj Uyagalalele. i possibly see the fact of his tendency to run it kind of will net out his passing numbers will drop and his rushing numbers will increase compared to your average quarterbacks but it still won't be enough to win him the award because they both weren't astronomically high it, and it just depends on because i think you got to put up gaudy numbers it, on both sides on, on either both gotta, sides you, of the equation yeah. or you have to have like elite numbers in one area of your game like joe burrow couldn't run but the, the dude could yeah. throw for five thousand yards <laughs> the, like and i agree with that it's just how impressive do you look running the football as well because if you're putting on lamar jackson like flash and special big runs, part of why lamar jackson won the award it, it just if it makes heads turn like even if the stats aren't necessarily the best you have to see like where's this team gonna be and say Alabama's undefeated at the end of the year and he is carrying that team with running the football and throwing the football there's no way he's not going to be in the Heisman conversation if you're looking at him as this is the best player on offense for this Alabama team that's undefeated and it, it just depends on how the season plays out I agree with you I don't see it getting there but I would not be shocked if some situation like that played out where his running ability helps carry him. And if Alabama's undefeated and he's, you know, a big, big reason why I could see it happening, but I am with you. I think it's, you know, first year, they're probably going to be running the ball more. Going to be relying more on the running back in this offense this year. I don't think it happens, but again, I can see it. Way too early Heisman odds for the 2021 season. That's what we're going through right now. Deciding if these guys are viable Heisman candidates, just kind of, mulling around some of these options here 
you can call in at 334-321-1390. What are your thoughts? Next guy on the list, Pac-12 guy, finally headed out west. Junior quarterback at USC, Keaton Slovis. Only got to play six games last year. I was going to be really excited to see him play against Alabama before you know the coronavirus yep. wiped all that clean. But you probably still could have had a matchup there, and it wouldn't have been a problem. you know, Because the college football season went on without a hitch pretty well last year and um you know considering we played in bowl games i don't know what was different about playing in a bowl game rather than playing in non-conference games but you know apparently bowl games you're not as susceptible to catching the virus as later on in the year later on in the year more uh more known about coronavirus at this point or at that point i think also there were more cases at the time though than that, there that were at the start no, of football season that is true i mean everybody's seen the meme of like the coronavirus panic when it was low and then it was like the it was like coronavirus panic was high and then like the number of cases was low and then you see the panic was low and then the cases were high it's like we did it the opposite way like at, at the time but i agree with you yeah so i, I the, just the lack of non-conference games i didn't know if i was all the way i, I, I didn't know how that was di- because you were playing somebody from another conference how optics. that was different from yes it's all it's all optics it's like how Let's is that different from playing someone in your own conference I, I didn't realize non-conference matchups made you more susceptible to catching the virus than it was and i know part of it's because different conferences also have different um they have different regulations and protocols and it's hard to reconcile those when they play but i i still would have loved to have seen that usc alabama game because i would have liked to have seen keenan slovis play a legit defense because that would help shape my opinion here right now looking back if if i had gotten to see keenan slovis play usc it's like well then i might have gotten to uh or not play usc seen usc play alabama that might have had a little bit more of an opinion here on keenan slovis he's got 10 to 1 heisman odds look in his freshman year in a an abbreviated stint out there at usc he played in 12 games he wasn't even the starter to begin that season back in 2019 and he took over for uh for jt daniels who is now at georgia he had 392 pass attempts a 71.9 completion percentage 3500 yards 30 touchdowns nine picks and that was just him as a freshman imagine when he gets a full season and he's and he's not a freshman anymore last year was underwhelming though his completion percentage dropped four points Still an odd year. I'll, I'll give it to you on this one. I, I was not with you on baseball being an odd year, but Pac-12 football. started back in like yeah, Pac-12 football was late October, early November. So I don't, I, yeah. you know, I think that does affect things a little bit. He had 17 TDs to seven picks. That's affecting him here with his Heisman odds. But I think Keaton Slovis is one of the best arms here in this in this group, and he's got some fun guys to throw to in that offense. And he also benefits from playing in a league that has bad defenses. So it's kind of the Big 12 argument. I could see Keaton Slovis also because he's got the Trojan logo on his helmet that's a big part quarterback usc that's synonymous with heisman trophy and heisman conversation and, i could see the guy making it and it it is synonymous with the heisman trophy but we're also kind of removed from that era the like i'll give the two knocks I'll it has give been on, like a decade the two knocks i'll give on keaton slovis and they have nothing to do with his playing playing ability because he's he's a great ball player east coast bias i think that works against him and that's not that's not a secret. Like you have to be yeah. you he's gonna have to absolutely just have a dominant year to catch attention like Marcus Mariota had, or you're gonna have to have everybody else have more of a down year and you have a great year where you're really kinda like you're looking around you're like nobody's really looks like the Heisman right now, but this guy out at USC is just throwing for you know, he threw for four forty five hundred yards this year. We gotta give it to him. And then obviously the last name, I can't see anybody named Slovis getting the Heisman. It just doesn't fit right with me. I don't know what you're trying to say, but still. <laughs> but redshirt senior quarterback out of Miami, Derek King coming back. He's coming off an ACL injury or a knee injury. I, I can't remember if it was an ACL injury or not, but he is coming off of a knee injury. I think that's going to affect him to a degree. 
And uh, isn't this like his sixth year in college football he's, or something he's like that? A and he's dealt with injuries in the past, has he not? Yeah, he's had like a, I think he had a redshirt year, like a medical redshirt year. Yeah. He got the COVID year, so he's got another. He's in the year six in college football, but he's, he's got 12 Never to graduate, odds. baby. Never graduate. Miami is too much of a sinkhole for college football at the moment. I can't see it happening. He's super talented. If he was talent. anywhere else, it would have happened. But He's Miami, super talented. No if Miami has a season, which I don't think it's possible. This if- is the Georgia of the ACC, the team that recruits pretty well, has some really good athletes, plays pretty good defense, can't figure things out on offense, and they're at also, least against good teams. And also they, can. they can't be Clemson. And if you yeah. equate Clemson and Alabama, like Miami sit there, can't get over Clemson. Yeah. And and consistently underwhelming compared to the brand. So If they I, were able to beat knock off Clemson and have a good year, just – Based off of the Eric King's talent. Also, if he, he was could. in like a legit spread offense too, like an offense That's that true. would accentuate his skills, not something that is a little bit more rigid with what it does. Like Miami is not known right now. I know he's got Rhett Lashley, who is a spread guy, but look, like Rhett Lashley, when he played good teams last year, everybody was all in love with Rhett Lashley until like you look at some of the good teams he played and it, it was not a good product. That Clemson game is, is one that you're looking at. He is in a spread offense that should accentuate his skills like in terms of a runner, but I don't think it's doing it as a passer, which is not going allow, allow to allow him to get into New York. If he's at if he's at Oklahoma, do you think he's raising the tro- like do you like his chances? Oh, yeah. yeah, like cuz he's so oh, talented. Yeah. You think that if he's at Oklahoma, you're sitting there going, this guy, this guy could win the Heisman." But Easy. he's not. He's at Miami. And that's unfortunate for him. And I'm not so sh- I'm not so sure despite the fact that Red Lashley spent spent some time with Sonny Dykes out in uh, SMU. I'm not so sure I'm not so sure that Rhett Lashley has learned how to incorporate the passing game on a consistent basis into his offense. So Jack Miller, quarterback, redshirt freshman, Ohio State, 16 to 1 odds. Uh definitely not. I'm so Ohio I'm, State quarterback though, it might. That's just how it goes. Like Big Ten's tough league though. Ex- yeah, I, that's and, true. and Justin Fields didn't get it done. I know he made it there, but he didn't get it done and he had some great numbers, but we also saw him struggle against some good defenses, most notably Northwestern. So I, I'm not so sure about Jack Miller over at Ohio State, especially a guy who really doesn't have any playing time under his belt at the moment. So 16-1 seems a little high for that guy. And then a couple other guys down the list, Jaden Daniels, junior quarterback, Arizona State. Can't imagine him getting into the Heisman conversation. You're, you're just kind of down the line. And then a Texas running back gets into the equation here. Sophomore running back. I hope I'm saying this correctly. Bijan Robinson. I believe that's correct. 22 to 1 odds. And I don't see a running back uh, uh, winning this award this year with as many talented quarterbacks, as many talented arms. I think Spencer Rattler's a shoe in, man. We've gone through this whole list, and I turned down a lot of names. A lot of names. I basically only gave credence to Sam Howell and mainly Spencer Rattler. I think Spencer Rattler is the one lifting the award this year. I mean, I don't see, I don't think he's the one lifting the award because it's never that cut and dry. And that's just how I view it. But he is, he's obviously the favorite for a reason if you look at it. I just, I think that someone's going, like some quarterback will have a year and their team will be competitive. And you're going to sit there at the end of the year and go, oh, yeah, like, like a Joe Burrow where he, someone on that list will come out of like, there will be the proverbial quarterback who comes out of nowhere, you yeah, know, and they're, they, but they're on that list. Yeah, you just might see, you know, Sam Howell tear it up. Maybe he wins it. And North Carolina has an astonishingly great season a year after you thought they were going to have an astonishingly like, uh, an astonishing like a Bryce season Bryce Young maybe maybe the you know Jack Miller yeah, maybe out of Bryce Ohio, Young does do it maybe Jack Miller out of Ohio State just absolutely tears it up I don't see that happening if we're but talking if about does. quarterbacks on this list who like I'm not buying really but like I could see getting there if they had just you know because of their situation and where they're at but I could see it happen Bryce Young's on the, on that oh, list yes, for Alabama for sure. and then Sam Howell in North Carolina was a little bit more 50-50 on 
JT Daniels numbers lends a hand to the fact that if he does throw for 300 a game which I don't think is possible in a Georgia offense on average but if he were to throw for 300 a game and and got his numbers up there the big thing about what's going to happen with Daniels at Georgia is they don't throw the football in the red zone yeah, like he's not going to have the touchdowns. So he's he's not going to get. He he was on pace for like thirty TDs this year, or this past year. If he if he had gotten to play the full season, he was not going to. Or if it was a full like twelve game year, he would have been on pace for thirty touchdowns. That doesn't win you the, that doesn't win you the Heisman these days as a quarterback. Random because Spencer Rattler is going to have more than thirty touchdowns. Random quick question before we break this off: Do you have do you have a guy like a not on this list that you think could do it? Like or that's not like on the guys that we named. Like anybody that comes to mind, like. I mean, I know Emory Jones is down here at thirty-five to one. No way. That, that's I don't, a, I don't that's trust a him as a. I don't trust him as a passer. We don't know any, anything about him as a passer yet at Florida. No, that's true. I, I, he's gotten in, and every time he's gotten in, he runs the ball. So you feel like you feel like one of these guys that are yeah, listed I think on this, it's on this list. You think so? I think this year, this is kind of like college basketball. This is a year where we lost a lot of quarterbacks, and college football may be down this upcoming year. There's a lot of turnover this year in terms of athletes moving on to the next level. And in some ways, there are a lot of guys that are sticking around and they're they're because of the COVID year that people are able to take and they're able to stick around. But some of those guys have also gone to the transfer portal. There's turnover everywhere in college football. And I think I think for the most part, college football may experience a down year. There might be some teams that might show up that have some great years that you may have not have expected and some of the big teams are going to be down, especially in the SEC. Like there's like three quarterbacks returning in this league. JT Daniels, Connor Basilak, Matt Corral, and then Bo Nick. So you got four guys that mainly you think of that are coming back this year that were like decent quarterbacks last year in the SEC. And Missouri, Auburn, and uh, Ole Miss all lost you know at least four games last year. So it's a, it's a buckle up. This is going to be a fun year in college football because it's it's hard to pinpoint. But with that being said, look at what's happened in college basketball. It was fun. It's chalk right now. It was fun. It was fun, and then all of a sudden you look at it and it's chalky. Parody in the middle tiers and below but at the top there's going to be a gap and there's going to be several elite teams that are just gonna and you know who those elite teams are it's alabama ohio state and clemson that's true there's going to be a gap between them and everyone else and i would not be shocked if it's going to be those three teams in the playoff plus when it's all said and done plus whoever else sneaks in like an oklahoma georgia or a pac-12 team this year maybe this might be the year if everybody else is down this might be the year that you can see a usc or an oregon break through We're going to head to break here, and when we come back, we will wrap up the show here on On the Line. Wrapping up On the Line here on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Believe it or not, Levi, we only got about about a minute left on the show. We had a very long segment just a moment ago going through some of those way too early Heisman odds for the 2021 season, but it's been been a fun show. We had Justin Ferguson on with us today of the Auburn Observer. We also got into a little bit of what's going on at opening day today. I do not have the Brave score in front of me, but they were trailing as much as 2-0 the last time I checked. Auburn baseball getting started with their three-game series against Arkansas tonight, Thursday, Friday, Saturday series against the Razorbacks. Auburn softball's got a series against Arkansas as well. That's a hot Arkansas softball team right now at 9-0 in the SEC. They've kind of shocked some people because they're only up to like number 11 in the softball polls, and they're 9-0 in the SEC. That's hard to do and they're they're playing really well at the moment they'll have Alabama I think next week so that'll be that'll be a big test for them but Auburn very well could provide a test for them also this Auburn team's not going to get any breaks on either side baseball or softball we talked a lot of stuff today it's been a good show though Braves still sitting at 0-2 right now bottom fifth 0-2 count whoever's up at the plate two outs Roy Williams UNC that's going to be a fun story to continue to follow as well through college basketball 
We'll keep people up to date with what's going on with that. And the Texas hiring Chris Beard from Texas Tech. Oof. Pack show today. We didn't even really get to talk about that one that no, much. No, and we'll talk about that a little bit tomorrow as well. College basketball, college football, you got a lot of things to expect so tomorrow. Much. We'll even talk a little bit about opening day and what happened with the Braves and then keep you up to date with them as well. So that does it for another edition of On the Line. It'll be The Drive with Bill Cameron on the other side of this break coming up at 4 p.m. to 6. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. You know where to find us.